thank you so much that we serve a living God. Thank you for the price that was paid for our salvation at the cross in Christ Jesus. Thank you that you had a plan for our sin from the moment that sin happened on this earth. You were ready. You understood what we needed for our relationship with you to be restored. And thank you for making that possible in Christ Jesus. Now, Father, in the next few moments, would you take your word, would you bring it to life in our hearts? By your spirit, would you touch us? Would you speak to us? Would you move us? Would you help us to be better servants of Jesus Christ, better disciples, better followers of Christ because of the time we spend together in your word? For those who may not have a relationship with you yet, God, would you help them to understand how much you care, how much you love them, how much you want to restore them to their creator? Meet with us. Continue to speak to us. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks. You may have a seat. If you've been with us very long, you know that we've been working through a process of uh, getting our own building. And uh, just so you know, we haven't given up on that. It's been a, a period of eight or so months that we've been raising finances, and we're still working toward that. And I just wanted to let you know that we're still praying that way. We're still asking God to show us uh, how he wants us to go about doing that. And I want to say thank you to you folks. I know I've said this before to you, but you, in the last year, you gave the regular budget that we have to operate on our, our yearly operations, and then you gave almost equal to that again uh, over the year. And so that's a pretty incredible thing, and I want to say thank you. Continue to do that. Continue to ask God to lead us and guide us as we figure that out. We also have an opportunity that is going to be presented to us uh, tomorrow night, there's a few of us from the elders board that will be going to meet with another local ministry uh, that is asking us to, to look at their ministry and whether or not that can be part of something that we do. And so I would just ask that you pray for us as we meet with them tomorrow night. If that's something that God wants, we want to be aware of that and know. Uh, if it's not something that God wants of us, then we also want to be aware of that. So we would just ask for you to pray as we have that meeting and, and uh, chat with those individuals uh, tomorrow evening. We're going to start a series today in the book of 1 Thessalonians. And if you have your Bible, I'd ask you to turn there with me. Um, and over the next, uh, I don't even know how many weeks, Mike, what are we, 8, 10? Do you know? Okay, so to the end of August, all right, that's, that's how, don't, don't leave, it's okay, it will be good, okay. No, we're going to look at this little book over the next few months, and we're going to kind of break it down, talk through it, and uh, kind of look at what God has to say to us from this little book of 1 Thessalonians. I want you to know a couple of things about this book. This book was written to really a church, kind of like ours in that, it was a church plant, and all of these epistles that you find in the New Testament, they're written to little church plants. And that's what we were 15 years ago. It was a group of people who got together and prayed and asked God that he would direct them and guide them and give them a passion for lost folks. And Moss Brooks started with that as its mission. It was to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with people who were far from God and to make a way that they could ask questions, that they could come and explore who God is. And we still try to do that very same thing today. 
Part of why we do church the way that we do is to make it open for people who are kind of searching and wondering who is God and what he's, what he's all about and, and how he wants to be part of their life. And this little epistle was written to a group of people who just kind of started in their faith. And Paul and Silas had been on a missionary journey. And uh, in their journey, they, they, they had been in a little town of Philippi. And uh, they had started a work in this little town of Philippi, and they created quite a little stir there. And the guys got upset. The town officials got upset. They beat them up. They threw them in prison. And while they were in prison, Paul and Silas were kind of known for not being able to keep their mouth shut. And they kept talking about God and talking about God. And in the night, in the middle of the night, this massive earthquake came and they got loose and the jailer was scared to death because in those days if you lost a prisoner you lost your life it was kind of they went hand in hand and he figured this is all over I'm gonna die and he was about ready to take his life and Paul and Silas says no no don't do that you don't need to do that we're all here we're all we're all still in the prison we stayed they're crazy and that jailer came to know Jesus Christ that night And scripture tells us this, that that jailer came to know Jesus Christ and all of his family came to know Jesus Christ as well. And so Paul inside, they pushed him out of that little town and said, look, you know, this has all been great. You've caused a lot of problems here. Why don't you move on? And so they pushed him out and off they went and they did a hundred mile trek. And they end up in this little town called Thessalonica. Now, in my mind, when I think of these places, and you may be with me, but I always think of little places. That's what I think of when I think of these epistles. And it's not true. This town that they went to, about 100 miles from Philippi, that they go to, it's a town. It's actually a city. It's a city of about 200,000 people. It's the fourth largest city in its region, And it's one of the capital cities of the region. It was considered to be the most wealthy city in the region. And every kind of, a lot of commercial events took place there. There was a lot of commerce. There was a lot of money being made in that town, in that city. And you've got to understand something about the culture of this day. In the culture of this day, all of these cities that that are in this region that Paul and Silas find themselves in, were known for their worship of multiple gods. Not one god, not two gods, but many, 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 many gods. And they would make up gods to keep worshiping gods because if something kind of went sideways in their life or something wasn't working out quite the way they thought it was going to work out, they would come up with a different god that they could worship, hoping that that god would make it right. And they had altars and gods all over the place. And so the people that Paul and Silas go to plant this little church that the Spirit of God led them to were a group of people who had many forms of worship. And so Paul and Silas show up at this little town of Thessalonica, well, this city, let me change that, this city of Thessalonica, and they, they began to teach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you looked at Acts chapter 17, you'll see the birth of the church in this this city. And scripture tells us this, that some Jews, because Paul always went to the synagogue first, he had the right to speak in the synagogue because he was well learned. 
And because he had done enough study that he was respected and he would go in and he would begin speaking and teaching, first of all, in the synagogue. And so he went in and the scripture tells us this, that we know he spent three times in the synagogue. That's what we know. We don't, we don't know how long they were there. We know they are there for just three weeks or if he was there for three months. We're not really sure. But we know that he taught three times in the synagogue. That's what scripture tells us. In Acts 17, chapter 4, you, I mean, chapter 17, verse 4, you'll find this, that this church, this little group of believers, some Jews who heard him speak and said, yes, what he's saying about Jesus Christ is true. And they agreed and they began to follow him. And it says this, that some of the Greeks who were there, some of the, some of the Greeks who heard him speak also said, yes, what he's saying about this one Jesus Christ has got to be true. And they believed And they began following Jesus Christ. And then it also says there that some of the leading ladies of the city heard him teach and believed and followed him. And a church was born. Folks, that's how a church is born, just so you know. It's when a group of people or one individual to start understands what Jesus Christ did for them on the cross, the price that he paid for their sin, for their soul, for their heart. And they understand that the love of, that God had by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to pay an extreme price so that our relationship with our creator could be renewed and refreshed. And when we yield to that and we say yes to what God has done for us, our hearts are changed. And when a few people do that in a town, a church is born. And the Spirit of God begins to draw folks to himself. And that's what happens in this city. The Spirit of God begins to draw. Now, it's all a great thing. A church is born. We can cheer and end right there. Life is so good. But it's not. Scripture tells us, and we're going to see this, that very short time after the church is born, we're talking days, weeks, very short time, the officials get upset, keep reading an Acts, and they come and they start looking for Paul and Silas. And they're like, these guys are causing problems in our town. They're changing how people think. We're losing control. We're losing power. And they began to look for Paul and Silas. And it says this in scripture that they went to the house of Jason, who was one of the guys who had just come to know Jesus Christ. And they go to his house at night and they say, we know that Paul and Silas are here. And and we don't know if they were there hiding. We don't know what was going on, but we know this, that they took Jason and his family and some other believers and they drug them out of their house. They took them down, threw them in prison because the church started. That's what happened to you, Right? You got saved. You started making a difference in your family. They called the cops. The cops came, arrested you, threw you in prison because you were following Jesus. No, it didn't. That didn't happen to you. That's what happened to these guys. 
Remember, we're living in a culture here when we're reading this that's a clanal culture. And the clanal culture is about the clan. It's about the clan staying together, looking after one another, living with one another. And the moment that Christ begins to change these people's hearts, they're threatened by what goes on and massive differences happen. And for them to stand for Jesus Christ, for them to say that I'm a Christ follower, this is life-changing. This is huge for them. And that's what happened to these guys. And they're thrown in prison. And they get out of prison, and the church there at Thessalonica sneak Paul and Silas out by night. That's what happens. They're like, we got to get rid of, we got to get you guys out of here. And what I love about this story, and we're going to pick it up in just a minute, but what I love about this whole thing, they sneak them out to get them away. But it's not the end of the church. And this is what happens with God's people. When we really come to know Jesus Christ, when he really makes a difference in our hearts, when he really gets a hold of us, when the spirit of God dwells in us, it doesn't matter what happens on the outside. He's changed us. And the church and the people of God continue to grow in spite of, of the oppression and opposition that they face. And that's really where we pick this up at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Let me read the first verse. Paul and Silas and Timothy, they're all together on this missionary journey at this time. You've got to realize we're talking about kind of six months later that they're about ready to write this back to this group of people that are in this little town, or this city. To the church of the Thessalonians... In God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you guys. It's the opening, it's the greeting, and that's true. It's, it's about six months later that they're writing back to this. And it's this new church that's kept going in spite of all of the opposition, in spite of all of the oppression that's happened. They're still growing in God. And Paul's concerned for them because they're not that old in their faith. They've just really figured this thing out. And, and so he writes this letter back to encourage him. But look at the opening of this letter because it's not what you would think. Oh, it seems like just a greeting, but it's not. There's a change that took place in this opening phrase that we don't really catch. So I want you to catch it. Are you ready for this? Look at it. It says this. It says, Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians. What's the next word? What is it? In. It's not of God. It's where? In God. Totally different explanation of the church than what the Jewish people, they were the people of God. They were a special people of God. God was God and they were a people of God. These are a people who are where? They are in God. Paul already has helped them to understand that their identity is totally different than what it was. When they came to a relationship with Jesus Christ, they were no longer outside the family. They were in the family. They were brought in. They were brought near. And their identity is in God. Totally different. 
If you are a Christ follower, if you have come to the place in your life where you understood that your sin separated you from God and you have accepted the gift that was given to you through Jesus Christ by his sacrificial, his sacrificial death on the cross on your behalf, then you are no longer a people who are separated from, you are a people or a person who is in God. And being in God means all of the presence of God, the power of God, who God is, indwells you by the ministry of the Holy Spirit that is at your disposal. And it kills me when I hear believers who live defeated in their life because they've chosen to accept a lie about who they are. You are in Christ. Same way this church was. What a change for these people. Completely different than what they knew. They understood a religious system that enacted on them, always acting on them, putting them in bondage, struggling, hoping that I've done enough to make it. And all of a sudden, because of Jesus Christ, they are now in God. He's done it all. I don't have to do anything. He did it. He completed it. You can tell your face you're happy. Some of you aren't so sure. They're in God. The next interesting thing about this as you read it is this. He says two words to them at the end of his little greeting. We're going to get into some other stuff. I'll get beyond the greeting. Believe me. He gives two other words when he ends this. He says this to them. He ends the first birth by by saying this. Have the grace and peace of God in you. And I find that really interesting because if you're in Christ, you already have that, right? If you're in Christ, it's he's Abba, he's daddy, he's father. I belong. I'm in the family. But here's the thing. We burn more grace after we get saved than getting saved. Now, don't, don't go all crazy on me, but think about this for a minute. Getting saved, it's the grace of God that saves me, right? There's nothing I do, and it's, it's the grace of God that saves me. But when I come to a relationship with Jesus Christ, and I am in Christ, a lot of times, now I'll speak for myself, you put yourself in whatever category you want to be in, but for me, I sin knowing that I'm sinning. Now, you probably don't, okay? <laughs> exactly. I make choices that I know when I'm making the choice, it's not what I should do, right? You do the same. Every time we do that, we're burning the grace of God. And I don't mean that like there's a limited amount and we're burning it. That's not what I mean. I mean we're using, right, we're assuming on the grace of God. And what Paul is getting at, they, they were saved by grace, but, but, but you need the grace of God constantly in your life to live as a believer. You, you just, you've got to keep having the grace of God show up and be part of your life. And it's there continually. He offers it to us. Now, Romans says, don't presume on the grace of God. Don't, 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 don't keep sinning that God's grace would keep showing. No, 
But as believers, we constantly are burning. You, you get me? The grace of God. And he says, hey, I, I, want you to, I want you to understand and experience the grace of God in your life. And then he goes farther and he says, and that you would know the peace of God. And I love this little piece here because what he's saying is this, that that piece is not that, that everything now is tranquil in your life, that, that the circumstances are all great, that everything works out perfect now. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that in the midst of what it is that you're going to face, the presence of God brings stability. And you can live in that. You can live in that stability that God is on the throne, that God is in control, that God's got it. And so he opens with this greeting to this group of people saying, look, you're in Christ, your identity is in Christ. Abba, Father, Daddy, Daddy, I belong. I'm part of the family. And not only do you belong, but the grace and the peace of God are yours. They're at your disposal and he continues to give them to you. And I bless you with them. Church, may the grace and peace of God be yours. May you experience it as you live out your faith in Christ. That's your position, your identity is in Christ. Okay, so let's keep going. Time's flying. Verse 2. We always thank God for all of you, making mention of you constantly in our prayers. We recall in the presence of God and our God and Father, your work produced by faith, your labor motivated by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full assurance. We're going to stop right there this morning. And I want to go back and I want to spend the next few moments of our time together in verse 3. And I want to do that because I want you to understand that being saved, having a relationship with Jesus Christ, coming to the place where I am in Christ, my identity is part of the family of God. I belong. I'm a child of God. I'm a joint heir with Jesus Christ. The inheritance, the position that I have is a full member of the family of God. I want you to understand a couple things about that relationship, if that's true in my heart and my life. There's two things that happen to me. Number one, there is an internal change that takes place. When I come to Christ, there's an internal change that takes place. And number two, there's an external change that takes place. This week, we're going to deal with the internal change. Next week, you need to come back because we're going to talk about the external. You don't want to miss it. But this week, in verse 3, we're going to talk about the internal change that takes place in our lives. I want to call your attention to three phrases that are found in this. Let me read the verse to you one time, one more time. We recall in the presence of our God and Father, your work produced by faith, your labor motivated by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. If you call yourself a Christ follower this morning, then there are internal changes that are evident and should be evident 
in your daily life. And these things that should be part of your life are done by the Spirit of God in us, but we have to allow him to do them. And so I want to talk about three phrases. Here they are. Phrase number one, we're going to get to it. It says this. Number one is this. The presence of God in our lives is first seen by our faith. The presence of God in our lives is first seen by our faith. If you look at that phrase, it says this. The work of faith in them. They turned from worshipers who were worshiping multiple gods, who were reaching out in many directions, looking for anything that they could possibly have that would help them get through life, grasping at straws, if you will, hoping that one of these gods, if I worship him right, he'll make my life okay. If I do the right things, if I say the right things, if I keep the right law, if, I, if, if, if I'm good enough, if I can get enough check marks by my name, then I've got it. They change from that kind of life to a faith in Jesus Christ. One person, one God-man, who says... You don't do anything. I did it all. (laughs) Whoa, hold it. What a difference. I just went from chasing everything to God going, nope, you don't do anything. I did it all. Now, that scares me, by the way. You say, "Uh uh-oh, my pastor, he's scared about this. I am. Here's why. Because we like, I like, you like to put levels on our faith. We like to say, if you have enough faith, God will do. If you've got this much faith, God does this much. If you have this much faith, then you're really spiritual and life is really... And that's not what Scripture says at all. Scripture says that if you have the faith the size of a mustard seed, if you have a little bit of faith. And when one man was honest with Jesus in the Gospels, he said... Lord, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. And in your dark moments of your soul, and you have them, you struggle with your unbelief. As a Christ follower sitting in this room, there are times when you say, really, God? And what Paul says to this, he says, guys, the internal change is that little teeny bit of faith (laughs) that it takes to say yes to Jesus Christ. He's not asking you to have a huge, unlimited amount of faith. He's asking you this morning As a Christ follower, maybe you're not a Christ follower yet. He's asking you to take the first little yes, the tiny step, whatever that is. And for some of you, it's the first yes in a relationship with God. But for some of you who may have been Christ followers for a long time, it's the first yes to actually submitting in an area of your life. It's the first yes to actually admitting that you need God 
to continue to be God in your life. And Paul says the internal change is that that faith for you, I'm not talking external yet, I'm talking in your own heart of hearts, that that faith for you has become real. And you're saying yes to Jesus. You're saying yes to the Spirit of God on a regular basis. The second phrase that I want you to catch here this morning is this. It says this. The presence of God in our lives is evident or is evident. It's seen by our love. He says this. The phrase is your labor motivated by love. Romans 5.5 5 says this. God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Spirit. The unrelenting love of God being passed through us to others is an evidence that we've been saved. That that faith is real. The fact that I love people who are now my enemies and I care for them and I love them in spite of who I am and in spite of who they are. The love of God is evident in my life. I now care about things and events and people in ways that I never cared for before because the love of God has begun to twist my heart and he's got a hold of my heart and he's changing. We are made motivated to serve God because of our love for him. And that becomes the driving motivation for our actions is I have to do this because of what God has done for me and I love him. It quickly becomes evident if our labor is out of guilt and selfish ambition and our desire to please others becomes out of a judgmental and critical and harsh spirit, then we know the love of God is not in us. But when I simply do it because I'm saying yes to God, that's the internal test, if you will, that what I have from God is real. It's for the love of God and no other reason that I do this. And whether anybody notices or not, I love God. I have a little faith <laughs> and the love of God is evident. Number three, let me give you this one. It says this. The presence of God in our lives is seen in our hope. Your, endure, your endurance inspired by hope. Now, it's different for them than what we face today. When Paul writes that to them, remember, these people could lose their life because of their faith in Jesus Christ. These people could lose the job that they have, the family that they have, their livelihood could all be gone because they have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And Paul looks at him and he says, look, I see your faith. It's in your heart and your life. I see your love and how you're responding to other people and it's welling out of you for those around you. But I also see in the midst of the difficulties that you face, you have hope. You have hope. Folks, when we lose hope, we lose all. We give up. We're done. The change of salvation is evident in my heart when the issues of life, the struggles of life, all those things that can happen that I can do nothing about when they don't draw me away from God, but draw me closer to The change of salvation is evident in my heart when that hope of what God has provided gives me strength to continue to endure. 
So why does knowing these truths about the internal change in my heart and my life matter for us today? Why would I spend 28 minutes talking about those internal changes, the love of God, the faith in God, in Jesus Christ, our hope? Why would I spend that time talking to you about that today? Well, here's why. Here's why. Because it is really easy to claim things about ourselves that are not true. You know that? We're really good at lying to ourselves. And in the dark, quiet moments, those lies become reality for us. And all of a sudden, you've got to deal with them. And being a Christ follower is one of those things that we can lie about. And we can look at ourselves and we can say, yep, I'm in, I'm a Christ follower. But the faith of God, the love of God, and the hope of God is not evident in my life. It's not there. Yeah, I'm a Christ follower, I'm in, I've got it, woohoo! In the dark, quiet moments, I'm lost. I feel abandoned. There's no hope. Do you really have a relationship with Jesus? I'm not trying to make you doubt. I want you to be able to answer the question. I want the presence of God to be real. I want you to experience your faith in God. I want you to know the love of God. And I want you to have the hope that comes from living with God. It is the presence of faith, hope, and love of God in us that indicates I am a follower of Christ. Folks, you need to know who you are to know who you're becoming. You catch that? You need to know who you are. I'm a child of God to know who I'm becoming. I'm becoming a servant of God. Do you know who you are? Has the internal change happened? Father, help us to understand in our heart of hearts what a relationship with you looks like. Help us to be sure that we've said yes to you, that we are your follower, your disciple, and that we're allowing you control in our life each day. to the church in the Oxford Hills in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We recall in the presence of our God and Father your work produced by faith. Your labor motivated by love and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. God, may that be us. May that be the testimony your presence in us as a church.
may it be evident to all who see us this week. We're different because we're yours. Help us, encourage us, use us, make us your church. In your name we pray, amen.